His videos have been seen at least over half a billion times. And if you've ever watched one of his videos on Twitter or Facebook or any other social streaming site, you most likely owe my next guest a little bit of cash for extending your life through laughter. Please welcome to the show the internet's favorite dad, Stuart Reynolds, a.k.a. Brittlestar. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, no worries. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on the call. Yeah, yeah. The the obvious first question, Stuart, is how the heck did you come up with the handle Brittlestar? <laughs> uh, well, basically, um, Brittlestar, initially I used as a band name back in 2004. Um, I'd done music all my life, and I was like, well, if I'm going to do an album, I'm just going to do an album. So I decided to do that and decided to pick a name. And I was reading a, a book to my eldest son, who was three at the time, and uh, he loved this marine life book. And there's these starfish that yeah. are called brittle stars. And they're kind of spindly and they uh, they can see out of their tentacles, or they, which they can't really see, but they can kind of see out of their tentacles. And then they defecate out of their mouths. And I thought, well, that seems like a good fit. So that seems pretty good. <laughs> Did your, your three-year-old son must have loved that name. <laughs> I don't think they ever really made the proper connection. Maybe now that he does. I mean, yeah. I think they probably do. But I think at the time, they're like, that just sounds so cool. That's the word star in it. So And he poops out of his mouth. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, I think any three-year-old boy would love that. That's true. That's true. So, so what, what kind of music will I, what kind of a band were you in? So uh, I did um, the first Brittle Star record. uh was co-written with a guy named Stephen Duffy, who was one of the founders of Duran Duran. Uh, and uh, so him and I, he was working on another guy's album by the name of Robbie Williams at the same time in LA. And he was, him and I were kind of working remotely back and forth. And uh, I kind of got the benefit of all the stuff he was doing with Robbie Williams, which was like a multi-million dollar album. Uh, and he would sort of send stuff back and forth to me. And so I did that and it was kind of like a little bit like the killers kind of thing. It was actually the album was cross promoted on Amazon.com at the time with the killers hot fuss, their first album. Uh, and it did okay. And it, a whole album actually ended up being licensed to MTV's TV show, uh, real world. And, wow. uh, yeah, my biggest, uh, well, I'm maybe not the biggest claim to fame, but one of my notable moments was I wrote a song called goodbye and it was used during a, a, a breakup scene, a telephone long distance relationship breakup scene between one of the residents of the real world house and her boyfriend back home. And the thing is, if people don't know this, you don't get paid for music that's used in TV shows unless it crosses the uh, 30 second mark. And so my wife and I were watching this and we were watching it and we we're count literally counting it down going 25. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. It's still playing. It's still playing. And it played for, <laughs> played for about a minute and a half. And that was, uh, it was like payday. It was great. It was fantastic. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. I feel bad for the relationship, but hey, I made money. So whatever. <laughs> so like, was, was that, you, you must have been dabbling in music way before then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely like heavily involved in music right through my teen years, like record company interviews, the whole bit and um, and performing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the first things I did when we moved to our current house now back in 2003 was build a, a, a studio in the basement, like a floating room studio. So it's I didn't have to bother the rest of the family and I could record quietly and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. 
that is and and so is now is is music now in the background or are you still dabbling in it what do you what, where well, does music fit in i think you know it was interesting because when i <laughs> i was always say to people uh you know making the switch uh, from music to comedy uh, as a career choice or profession it was pretty easy because people were laughing anyway and i might as well get paid for it um <laughs> but it was you know it was it, it's Music's never going to go away. I think anyone who makes music or plays music, that never really leaves you. So, I mean, I kind of do stuff. Every year I try to crank out a Christmas song and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, of course, I use it for, like, the parodies and things like that that I create for the videos, too. Interesting. So, so in your music, was there a lot of comedy in your music? No, there really wasn't. I, and I think that might have been, you know, if I, if I could go back to my 16-year-old uh, self, I would probably say, hey, listen, don't try so hard to be an artist. Just do something that you enjoy and others enjoy. Uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, it's just very, very different. And uh, I think I was so desperate to be taken seriously. And then by the time, you know, I started doing social media video, I was like, you know what? I don't care if people take me seriously or not. And that's, you know, ironically, when people started to actually take me seriously. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So, so tell me about this, this, um, dive into comedy. How did, how did you make that switch and what was the decision like? Um, it was, you know, we had had a tech company that we had built up from about 1998 onwards. And, uh, and then we had this like catastrophic event happen in the business. And then we had, uh, of course the recession hit around 2008 and it kind of hit the, the, cause we're in Canada and it hit the U S earlier, of course, and then hit Canada shortly afterwards. And it was like, we were like, ah, oh, what do we do now? This is crazy. The business essentially disappeared and uh we're like what do we do so i started doing some voiceover stuff to sort of you know essentially pay for mortgage and that type of thing and then vine came along and vine was of course the app that had the six and a half second looping videos and yeah. i i thought you yeah, well this is kind of like twitter except videos actually my youngest son who showed it to me on the day it was released he was like check this out it's like twitter except it's videos and i thought well i'll goof around so i started messing around with it i had time on my hands and uh, I would make these ridiculous videos with uh, because my wife was was out working and my two kids were at school. It would just be me at home. And so I, I would use this 12 inch plastic Chewbacca doll I had left over from when I was a kid and left over like I'm using them. It makes it sound like <laughs> I wore the I wore the other ones out. The Han Solo doll gone. Um, but the 12 inch Chewbacca doll, him and I would do, uh, these little vines together. And then I would go down to the pub and people would be like, ah, oh, we love that video you did with Chewbacca. It was hilarious. And I sort of thought to myself, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I'm supposed to be making sort of stupid videos and silly videos and making people laugh. And it kind of snowballed. And so we, we didn't really make a big decision or sort of like to get into comedy in a big way until, uh, I did a video called put your finger on the screen it literally blew up massively in about 12 hours uh, with millions of views. I gained like 200,000 followers in a day. And uh, about a month after that, Disney uh, Disney came calling and said, would you like to come to California and do some work for us? And I was like, wow, I can get paid for this? Then it seemed like a no-brainer after that. So you were just making these things because it, it gave you joy. It, it was fun. Your, yeah. your kids got a kick out of it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Disney comes calling. Yeah, that's totally it. I mean, you know, I think one of the things that was a big lesson for me was uh, we had, as I was saying, like our business had collapsed. I was like really at loose ends as to figure out what to do. And not just uh, not just in a financial sense, where it was like we have to do something to keep going. 
Um, but also in like a personal sense, like, okay, well, what's, you know, what's the point of getting up in the morning type of thing? Like kind of a pretty low, dark place. And I thought I watched actually funny enough, I watched on YouTube one day, a collection of bloopers from the office. And I was like, man, that looks like fun. I want to, I want to have a job where I'm, I'm laughing at least once a day, if not more than that. Yeah. And I think that that became a huge, uh, you know, catalyst or huge impetus for me to sort of go ahead and say, all right, I'm just going to dive into this and start creating stuff. Um, and that became, I think when we did our first meetup in October of 2013, um, there was like about two or 3000 people there. And as, wow. soon as, I, as soon as I walked into the area where it was happening, it's a big public square in downtown Toronto. And as a woman who was like in her mid fifties who like, like sort of ran up to me and I was like, Oh my God, who is this crazy woman? And why is she wanting to talk to me? And she said, I just want to let you know that your videos, your vines have helped me through a really dark time. And I was like, wow. And she was like super sweet. She gave me a hug and it was all nice. And I thought, well, what an impact to have and how you can't really sort of sneeze at that. You know, you can't sort of say, you can't turn your nose up at it and think, uh, well, it's not really art. Well, it doesn't, you know, everything's art, but at the same time, it's like, if it has an impact and if it's doing some good, then yeah, you should be doing it. Sure, sure. So, so this meetup, this was like just a community meetup about social media, or was this something you put together? No, it's uh, it was put together by a guy named Peaks, who was uh, he's also was a Toronto viner, and um, okay. this was sort of like Vine was kind of really exploding, and he had organized a bunch of American uh, viners and a bunch of Canadian viners to get together and do this meetup in Young and Dundas Square, and it was. It was crazy. I was, I mean, what's really funny is it's uh, me on stage with all these young people, including beside me is Sean Mendez. So it was, just, it was just like bizarre. It was like, okay, this is what I'm doing next. Except I'm in my 40s and all these people are like 18, but that's okay. <laughs> so, so a question I have is, is so Vine is no more. What Sad. did, did that like were you fully vested into making vines or were you already putting stuff up on everywhere else like tell me about when vine closed how that impacted you it impacted me because uh, in a way that uh, in the way that uh it was the main thrust of my audience it's where people were finding my stuff it's where they were sharing stuff the benefit of vine of course being owned by twitter was that when you made a Vine, it was easily shareable and playable on Twitter, and those views counted and people led back to your account easily. Yeah. Um, uh, so I had about a 1.2 million followers on Vine and had about, at the time, maybe 60,000 followers on Facebook and maybe about you know 5,000 on Twitter. And so it was like a massive part of what we were doing like it was the reason that we got hired for brand deals and it's the reason we worked for disney and all that kind of stuff and when we kind of got a, a little bit of a heads up about sort of five to six months prior to it shutting down that it was not looking good okay. and and uh we kind of started scrambling because we hadn't i mean the notion that you'd have this massive platform with this incredible cultural impact uh and people will sort of dismiss i think you know these sort of silly social media videos but when you look at it and you think about people like sean mendez uh you think about people like liza koshi and uh david dobrik who are you know incredibly successful people who all kind of sprung from that that springboard of vine um 
it was unthinkable that a platform could just disappear. It was kind of like, well, it's not going to disappear. Maybe it'll slow down. Um, but it just literally went. So it was, it was pretty yeah. shocking. You know, it was pretty shocking for sure. But thankfully, our audience was a little older, and that's when more of uh, that audience started to use things like Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, and it's been pretty good for us since then. Does, um, does the media matter? Does the platform matter? Or is, is what you used to do on Vine, albeit, you know, six seconds, really the same thing that you're doing right now? Um, it matters a little bit. I mean, I think that the content I'm putting on Twitter is usually so uh, zeitgeist and, and news-based um, as opposed to maybe some of the stuff I might be doing on TikTok, which is, you know, much more evergreen, a bit more sort of nonsense, silly. Uh, the stuff on, on Twitter is much more, this happened in politics yesterday. Here's my video about it today. Um, and then Facebook kind of lies somewhere between those two, between that sort of nonsense, evergreen okay. stuff and the more zeitgeist, zeitgeist stuff. So there is a difference between them. Sometimes one video will hit on every platform, um, but it's usually more the case of something will do really, really well on Twitter and they get nothing on Facebook or do really, really well on Facebook and get nothing on Twitter. Wow. Okay. So you you, you plan your content and you sort of focus on where this is going to pop the most. Yeah, kind of. And it's interesting because, you know, I had this conversation with someone recently about uh, about programming uh, content. It was actually somebody from Facebook who was asking this to me. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, it's very different. But the way I make content and program my content is very different from, you know, someone who does stuff for YouTube, um, which I'm on YouTube as well. But it's much more of a repository than anything else for me currently. Um is that, you know, if I, I, I know that next week I should probably release about three videos, I don't know what those videos are going to be yet because I don't know what's happening with the news. I don't know what's going to happen with the weather. I don't know what's happening, you know, in current events, that type of thing. Whatever, what's everyone going to be talking about on Monday or Tuesday that I can have a video ready for on Wednesday um, compared to someone who does a YouTube channel who says, well, I'm going to do a video, three videos a week, and they're all just about general topics, that type of thing. And yeah. I might hit some stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how did you did you did a video um, about uh, voting for the prime minister? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you did a, a sort of call in and say, "Hey, you know, who would you vote for?" That's how right. Did, how did um how did that one do? I did pretty well, actually. Uh, I mean, it was uh, I. It's one of those weird situations. I have a number of friends who are uh, much more prominent public figures than I am, and. That's not saying much, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I try not to be too blatant in supporting a specific pol political party. I, I've, I've never been a member of a political party. I will never be a member of a political party. As somebody asked me about that once and I said, well, it's the whole Groucho Marx thing. It's, you know, I don't want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but at the same time, I was like, oh, I've got to kind of poke fun at this stuff because it's there's some serious issues at play here. There's you know, maybe not even directly affecting me, sure. but there's serious issues. So I kind of have to at least throw something in there to see if I can help a little bit. Um, but at the same time, kind of making people kind of take a step back and go, wow, that is ridiculous. That is really funny. That type of thing. Yeah. Most of most of the content that I've seen is, is very Canadian focused or you yeah. Know, do you, is this a conscious effort on your end? Do you ever think about, well, if I want the Disney's to keep on calling, 
um, maybe I should do, you know, whether it's evergreen or, or whether it's more American based. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly been a consideration in the past. Um, I mean, we have, you know, acquaintances, friends, peers who work in social media and create social media content similar to what we do. And they have essentially pretended that they're not Canadian um, or pretended that they are American, more to the sure. point, um, in order to get those uh, brand deals that are a bit more prominent. Um, I I always felt kind of weird about doing that. I've kind of I felt like vaguely sort of almost traitorous doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I sort of felt more comfortable doing more of the Canadian stuff. And I also thought to myself, you know what? No one else is. This is a niche in the market here. No one else is really doing that kind of social media content uh, that's Canadian. And what's really funny is that some of my biggest videos are the ones that are expressly Canadian. Um, and I think that that there's that niche argument where people, you know, I have a one video where I talk about the, the national weather report in Canada and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, then how horrible things are in Calgary. And that video like took off, like that was absolutely massively popular. I think because people in Calgary were so excited that like this, someone who's recognizing what's happening and applying it to like a national lens, which was really fun and on social media, uh, to the point where that video came out and about the, I think it was the next week, um, we were filming with Gordon Ramsay in Toronto and uh, a young couple who had won a contest to meet Gordon Ramsay were there and they were from Calgary and on the way to Gordon Ramsay, they stopped and went, oh my God, can we have a picture with you? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, Gordon Ramsay's right over there, but yeah, sure. That sounds great. Um, so I think that's interesting, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. And people like to see themselves on their screens, regardless if, regardless if it's TV film or, or their phones. Yeah. What do your kids think of all of this? Um, they, like, it's are you, funny. Are you still cool dad or are you like, annoying <laughs> I've, I'm super fortunate to have, uh, the relationship I have with my, with my two sons, Owen and Gregor, like, um, you know, Social media video for us was was a lifesaver uh, when it kind of struck for us. Like it really, it's it's it can't be overstated how dramatically it salvaged uh, things for us. Wow! Um, oh. And so that's why you know I'm I'm a big defender big defender of it and the good of social media for those reasons. Like, um, are you are you referring? Sorry to interrupt. Are you referring no. to saved you in terms of? You've got money to pay the mortgage and yeah. buy food. Okay, all right. Yeah, like literally those things. Like, like things were were seriously dire for us, and wow. it was like, what are we gonna do? And and you know all those uh, things you can imagine happening when you think you're running out of cash and there's you're not quite sure what's gonna happen next. All that stuff was happening to us, and uh, just you know, thank goodness, timing hit, and uh, it was like, oh, we can make money doing this. Literally in that first event. That Disney hired us for, which was the first brand campaign we'd ever done. Uh, when we went down to California for that, we were there for an event called Social Media Social Media All Stars, and uh, uh, we were down there with like Grumpy Cat, uh, rest in peace, <laughs> and uh, and a bunch of other prominent at the time social media people. And we talked to them like sort of in the evening over drinks and we're like, so you know, what do you do? And they're like, well, no, YouTube. And we'd ask someone else. And they're like, no, what do you do? Well, YouTube. Well, no, no. What's your job? Well, no, my job's YouTube. And we're like, oh, oh, this is fun. You get to go to California, make stupid videos with your family, and someone pays you. Amazing. 
Um, so that was kind of the big trick for us was like switching over and, and, uh, and realizing you can actually make, make money out of it. Uh, but back to the question about the kids. Um, yeah. So the, the kids are kind of, my rule was always never force the kids to be in any video they don't want to be in. Yeah. Uh, because I always thought from a creative perspective and a production perspective, you can tell when kids don't want to don't want to be part of something, sure. and it just makes you weird, like a weird, horrible modern stage mom. Um, but so my oldest son is very musical and uh, an incredible guitarist, and and uh, he kind of did a whole bunch of stuff and some really cool stuff when he was sixteen. He worked with uh, um, we got an email one time and came into the family room and said, uh, "I've got this email. I've had it for three days." I don't know if it's real or not. What do you think? And he showed me it. And I was like, hmm, this says it's from the Beatles. And I was like, that's odd. So we looked up the name. And sure enough, it was the woman who was in charge of social media for the Beatles. Uh, I mean, like the, the Beatles organization. And she hired him to do two videos promoting their vinyl mono box set. Um, and I was like, this is wow. Insane! Like this is you're 16 years old and you get an email from the Beatles because they've been following your videos. Crazy! <laughs> wow! Uh, I know. So nuts. So I mean, he's done sort of you know tons of music stuff. He was on tour in South America this past year uh, with a, a singer, and um, he's done great. But he's sort of more happy to kind of be the sideman and kind of he doesn't necessarily want to be the guy up front. My yeah. youngest son, Gregor, really is totally comfortable with being up front, much like myself. I'm, ha I'm happy. If I have a microphone in my hand, it's great because I can control the room. <laughs> if yeah. I don't, I start freaking out in social situations unless someone passes me a microphone. Um, so him and I are very similar, whereas my wife and my older son, Owen, are, are very similar in that they, they, do, they do not seek the spotlight. But we get along great. I mean, we're filming this big project uh, currently, and my youngest son, Gregor, is is a phenomenal, uh, you know, good eye for cinematography uh, and a really good editor. So he's actually, we were filming last night on location, and we're filming again tonight on location, and uh, had about, you know, 15 or so extras and coordinating lights and camera and audio and stuff. And he's happy to help and sort of do all that kind of stuff and take over, and I can totally trust him. So I'm very fortunate. That's nice. And this is for this is just for one of your fun videos, or this is for like a client. So this is this one. Uh, the project we're working on currently is for a client, and uh, luckily it all takes place. We can film all locations here in our town of Stratford, um, so it's uh, it's convenient for us. And we sort of set these filming times up. They don't take very long, which is great. Um, but yeah, we've done lots of fun stuff last year, myself, my wife, and my son, Gregor, we did work for a kind of a tire company called Cal tire. Yeah. And, uh, we flew uh, across, well, all points West from Toronto, uh, in the space of about five days and filmed in every, in every city basically. So, uh, Winnipeg, Regina, Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, Calgary, uh, Toronto, of course, all that kind of stuff. So it's 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 kind of cool to be able to spend time with your family and uh, and also be working at the same time and not hate each other, which is even better. Yeah, that's that's the important part there. Yeah. When you're making these, so when, so when the Disney's of the world, Cal Tires of the world, come to you, are they looking for Brittle Star to make a fun quote unquote viral video for them? Or are they looking for Stuart Reynolds to 
give them ideas and be back of the camera or, or is it sometimes both? Right. Um, currently as it stands, nobody wants Stuart Reynolds. Um, (laughs) everybody, I think, you know, I did a video, um, in 2017 for, uh, Canada day explaining Canada day to Americans. And, uh, I wrote this script up. It was just supposed to be like symbolically having Canada and America talking over the fence in the backyard, like neighbors. And, um, I did that, so wrote that script and I sent it around and uh, to like CBC and all these places <clears throat> to actually get some funding to make it, even though it wasn't, it didn't require too much funding to make. Um, and I got this agency contacting me and they're like, hey, listen, would you be interested in uh, modifying this script that you've sent us uh, for a KFC ad? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? That's Kentucky fried chicken. That's not Canada fried chicken. This doesn't make any sense. Um <laughs> And so they, uh, they're like, no, 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 it's, it, there's a really cool fact about KFC and that uh, Colonel Sanders died in Mississauga. And I was like, that's amazing. That's fantastic. That's like the most Canadian piece of trivia ever. This American icon <laughs> died in a <laughs> suburb of Toronto. That's fantastic. Um, so I, I did that. Anyway, so the, the video exploded and within about two days was seen by uh, like the population of Canada, literally 36 million people had seen it. I think now it's like 65 million across platform uh, in total. And it's the only video that's ever, only thing that's ever gotten a a smile and a laugh out of a U.S. customs guard for me. I was going to California uh, last year and uh, the customs guard was asking me all these questions and being sort of, you know, gruff and burly as they usually are on the U.S. customs. And, uh, he said, where are you going? I'm going down to meetings with uh, Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And he said, what do you do? I said, I make, inter- I make videos on the internet. He's like, what kind of videos? And I said, do you ever see that one explaining Canada Day to Americans? And he went, oh yeah, that's you. That's you. And he stamped my passport and sent me on my way. Uh, <laughs> just phenomenal. But what happens is, you know, people will, they see that video, brands see that video and they come to me and they're like, do that, do that for us. Um, and it's difficult because there's, well, difficult for a number of reasons. Um, but the big reason is, is like, there's a lot of factors in, in that video becoming successful. And the biggest of which is the brand kind of got out of the way. The brand was like, here, just to take your existing script that doesn't mention our product whatsoever, and then insert our product somehow discreetly so that people were kind of unaware. So, I mean, yes, you get the Cal tires and the Disney's and, uh, NBC universals and the Walmarts and all that kind of stuff. And they'll, come to me and say, we want you to do uh, a video for us. That's like that. Um, and it's a, it's also, I mean, it's a lot of, uh, it's very scary for big companies to just let some schmuck from small town Canada, you know, make a video for them that, that includes their brand. So it's yeah. difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. So I was, I was curious when I saw that KFC video, I'm like, okay, I, I get he's sitting on the KFC bucket. Yeah. Uh, and he mentions it once, and then you've sort of got, you know, you turn to camera two or whatever it is, yeah. uh, and you sort of give that quick update. It's true, you know, he was lived here yeah. for X amount of years, and I go, that's it, that's all he did. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I think that that's why it was so effective. And what was hilarious about that was they just wanted to be uh, front of mind for people um, and kind of really stand up for Canadians that weekend. And amazingly, their sales spiked almost 10% nationally because of that campaign, which is crazy. Isn't that insane? Um, 
And the company Edelman, who did the who was the agency for KFC and uh, was working with me, and Neil Mullen was the guy who I was working with for that project. Um, uh, that Edelman won like two awards based on that ad. Oh no way! <laughs> and I didn't get anything. Um, <laughs> I didn't. You got a cool chair. They didn't I, take a, chair I do. You. I have that damn chair. It's underneath our basement stairs. It is so big. It's crazy. <laughs> It deflates, which is good, but still, it's so massive. Wow. That's crazy. Um, is there – so I've got a couple of more questions for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't – so a couple of my friends know you, and they, they've, they have, apparently they claim they've raced you they've at raced the Canadian Tire Oh, yes. Sports yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, at the Acura event. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Greg Tilston and Jamie Stein. I don't know if yeah. you remember. Yeah, I remember guys. both those guys, yeah. yeah. They, those so, are the kind so of people Greg, that just they just they just sort of like imprint on your brain, and it doesn't matter how hard you try to forget them, they're always there. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you can take what you will from that. Comment. All right, all right. So Greg is is my is my uh, sometimes co-host. Okay. Um, and so he wanted to ask you, tongue in cheek, how it felt getting beat by both him and Jamie that one day. <laughs> uh, I think that um, the saddest thing about uh, Jamie and Greg is that they have selective memory, uh, okay. and that, uh, right. and that they have a heart. Yeah, they, they they. I think that they have. A, I mean, I think there's some fabrication happening there. I think that uh, I think that they are maybe overstating their victory a little bit. If I remember correctly, it was um, what was his name. Uh, the Canadian NASCAR driver, what's his name? Joey something. Uh, he was the undisputed king of that whole day. He just like was unbelievably good driver, obviously, as a NASCAR driver. Sure. Uh, and the other thing I remember that was really funny about that day, and seeing as the Acura is never sponsoring me, I can tell this story because it's hilarious, um, yeah. is, uh, and I hope they're not a sponsor of this show. <laughs> they, won't, they won't be after this. No. Uh, <laughs> but they had, a, uh, they had this, this system in the cars that um, was like an, an automatic braking system. And this was their big thing. The idea is if like you fell asleep at the wheel or you're in bumper to bumper sort of stop start traffic and you took your mind off the things for a bit, the car would stop before hitting something in its path ahead. That was the big thing. Yeah. And so they were trying to really demonstrate this. So they set up this track where uh, you would get in the car you would drive about 20 kilometers an hour, and then the person would say, now take your feet off the pedal, take your foot off the pedal, take your hands off the wheel, and just let the car go. Yeah. And the, there was a barrier in front of us, and the barrier, and the car stopped. So the cars stopped every single time. And then I stood outside, and I got out my phone, and I was like, I'm going to live stream this. So I Facebook lived it to my Facebook page. I said, check this out. I'm explaining what's happening. The car is coming down the track. I'm not driving it. I'm watching this happen. And yeah. I'm watching, and the car is coming down, and I said, now he's taking his foot off the pedal, he's taking his hands off the wheel, and the car is just, no, the car has just destroyed the barrier, and it didn't stop. It just didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> and I lost it, and I thought, I'm never getting hired to do anything for Aki again. But then the, the video glitched on my phone, and then nothing got uploaded, so uh, they, got to go, they got to get off without uh, too much embarrassment from that. But I've never oh, told that story to anybody, actually. That's pretty funny. That's, That's hilarious. Funny. Yeah. That that is hilarious. Do you have a favorite video, like not the one that you've made, one that's that your, I've made? Yeah, yeah that's your favorite. Yeah, yeah, I do, and uh, it's always the ones that uh, that nobody really likes that I think are hilarious. Uh, I did a Vine, um, 
in a film noir style <laughs> uh, with a cross with uh, a Tennessee Williams style delivery um, called Urologist, the movie. And, uh, and nobody on, I mean, Vine was a fairly young audience, uh, but nobody on Vine liked it. Like it was just, it got sort of, sort of, you know, some sympathy clicks basically. Um, <laughs> But what was great is I got a message from the Urologist Association of America who said, we love this and we're all sharing it. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just basically me standing with a glass of bourbon by the window and a white T-shirt, cat in a hot tin roof style and and saying, um, you know, uh, that's the dream, son, looking at wieners all day. And a little voice off screen goes, uh, Dad, you know, maybe I could be. And he's like, shut up. It's just the dream. And the whole idea is like, who <laughs> thinks to themselves, I want to be a urologist as a career? I mean, it's a wonderful career and they do a lot of great things. But does anyone, that's it. Who wants, you know, that's the dream looking at wieners all day. Is it? Does anyone ever have that dream? Even someone who likes wieners? Come on. <laughs> that so didn't pop up on mine. <laughs> that didn't perform well on Vine. No, fun, funny enough. I know, weird, right? And I keep bringing it out. And my wife, Shannon, is just like, why? Why are you posting that again? Uh, but it's just so fun. I like it. Uh, Greg also wants to know how it is having uh, Justin Bieber as your neighbor. Well, I tell you, you know, Justin is, uh, he's living, his dad lives in town, but his, he lives just outside of town now in Puselinch. Um, and, uh, I only see him occasionally maybe heading to Tim's. That's about it. And his one of his Lambos or his crazy SUVs. I, He's I not generally... to be on any of your videos. Uh, not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I'm just still really upset because in Stratford they have a, uh, they have like a, a walk of fame sort of star type thing happening here okay. where they'll have, uh, so there's like outside the, uh, one of the theaters is like Christopher Plummer's got one and William Shatner's got one. Lloyd Robertson's got one, all that kind of stuff. And I remember vividly in 2008, 2009, 2008, I think when Justin left to go to Atlanta saying to uh, M Griner, who's a, a popular indie songwriter singer. And I remember walking downtown with her and saying, I'll be so upset if that Bieber kid gets a star before me and damn it, he's got a star before me. So that's my next move is to, is to get my own star, hopefully right beside his, and then I'll pee on my own star so I can tarnish it. <laughs> then the question, though, is, is whose name is going to be on that star? It'll have to be Brittle Star. I mean, it'll just have to be. And it'll just people in the you know in the future will be like, what the hell was that? And that won't matter. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Stratford sort of had this fascination with a starfish lookalike. <laughs> exactly. The defecated out of its mouth. Big, <laughs> even though it's a landlocked town, it was super into marine life. that is awesome listen Stuart thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate the time thanks again for having me I appreciate it